Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky, here with Father Boniface Hicks. And one of the things that we've tried to accomplish with this podcast was an emphasis upon why it's important to get closer to God and get closer to church. And one of the ways that this podcast has gone that road is kind of teaching us how the education about the faith we got when we were children isn't exactly the same as it's adults because of how much richer and more fuller it is. And one of the first conversations we had was about how I, myself, kind of drifted away from the faith during the teenager years basically because of all the elements of sex and how the only real teachings we'd ever gotten was just don't do it, just don't do it, ignore everything that you're feeling in your body, which in practicality is the effect but not rationale it's just being told you what to do so as we went on father gave us a couple of lessons about this and one of the things that you have come back to multiple times over the recording of these first 20 podcasts or so is why contraception is wrong particularly referring it typically to humana vitae the, the the letter about that and over the last cast that we've done particularly with those couple we did about marriage about a month or so ago, really kind of opened it up and gradually sank it in about how contraception is wrong and how I always had the point of abortion's wrong, that part was pretty straightforward, but how the lead up to contraception is ultimately what gets you to said point and makes it much more prevalent. So I want to thank you for, for getting that message across to me because it took me all the way until I was 30 to finally get it. So <laughs> I, I definitely want to thank you for that. And uh, yeah, so so with that being said, one of the topics I wanted to talk about in this cast today, this might have just been an example of this, was how do we know if prayer is working? And I know that that's kind of a very broad question, but that's essentially where I'm at with, with the question here. You just broke up on me for a moment. Can you say it again, Joe? How how do we know if prayer is working or that prayer is working? Um, well, that's a good question. I think it's always helpful to draw the analogy of human relationships. It's just the first thing that my mind always goes to when we ask any questions about prayer. How do you know when human relationships are working? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, well, we communicate better, we feel more peace together, there's a deeper communion, uh, I feel like I know the person more, I, uh, right? So there should be the same kinds of fruits in prayer in our relationship with God that we have in human relationships as we work through things. And especially yourself, Joe, as you prepare for marriage, you have a relationship that you've been very invested in for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And I think if you took stock at this point and looked back, you could say, you could see how it's grown over time. And even if you sort of look now, you could say, well, yeah, we don't fight the ways that we used to. We don't have the disagreements that we used to. We, we uh, really can anticipate each other in a better way. There isn't the anxiety or the tension or the uh, you know, those kinds of things like there used to be, there's more joy, there's more love, there's more peace in a relationship. And that happened over time. Mm-hmm. So 
the same kinds of things are going to be true in our relationship with God. I feel like I know him more. When I first was praying, I didn't really understand how to interact with God or, or what to expect. I, I was sort of like casting up balloons and hoping that they get somewhere and hoping that the, the balloon I sent up was, you know, sturdy enough to, to make it to wherever it needed to go. Just no sense of how that was going to be received, uh, how that uh, how to how to receive back from that. Over time, I get to know how God interacts with me. I get to know how He receives the the things that I say, or how He receives me as a person. I get to know how He loves. I start to understand the mind of God better over time, and so there's more peace. There's less anxiety. I don't have a kind of performance anxiety like I've got to do things the right way, or it's not going to get through. I have more confidence that, no, he knows me, and he loves me, and he listens to me, and he's going to direct me, and sometimes he does that in more explicit ways. I get some clarity, even in the time of prayer, mm -hmm. of, of how to go through with something. I, just one example of this, I was in Rome and was meeting with a, a friend of mine, and we had spent a couple of days together, and I was in prayer, and I was reflecting on our time together, which was really beautiful. But I felt that I just was opening up that relationship with the Lord and sharing it with him. And I felt him directing me very clearly to talk to him about his relationship with God. just really felt like that was a divine inspiration. Mm -hmm. And so we had a chance. We were at lunch. And I just brought that up. And it opened things up beautifully. And he shared some difficulties he's having. And I was able to offer a couple of pieces of advice and when I said one thing, he just like burst into tears. I mean, it just immediately moved him. And I could see that something really fell into place there. Yeah. So anyway, the point being that sometimes in prayer, we get something back in a very explicit way of, of an action to take or uh, some insight into ourselves or some way that we can grow. Sometimes when we're in prayer, we just know that it's been a good time together that I've been with the Lord, I've opened my heart to Him, He's received me, He's loved me, we're closer together now than we were before. Sometimes I don't even have that sense, I don't have a felt sense of that, but I know it because I know God now, and I know how prayer works. Anyway, all of that develops over time. And, and as we're committed to a life of prayer, as we're committed to spending time in prayer, as we're committed to learning more about God, and talking with others more about God, and, and worshiping him in the in the sacraments and then we just we grow in a very natural way in that relationship with him okay that that that, that makes a lot of sense there so as i we go forward you know i have a lot of a lot of questions here and one of the casts that we did before was about saints and this might be going right along the same answer that you just gave here but it seems that Virtually all of them, at least that I, I've started to read about, almost transform themselves in their subconscious to be able to just drifting closer and being able to think more deeply and just action-wise. You know, each of them are different in their own ways, being different people. But just innately, constantly going down that direction, almost as if they were a boat in a current. And they weren't fighting it, they were just going with it with where God was taking us. 
knowing that there's a many of different currents in the river, but they were taking the right one and knew they were on the right one. How do we instill that in ourselves in this actual practical event of today? Well, again, if I can uh, make an analogy with human relationships, mm -hmm. you know, there's a certain amount, I would guess, in your relationship with Teresa that's kind of flowing along. Mm -hmm. And because you know each other well, you can anticipate each other well that um, there's, you know, there's a certain amount that flows and, and you make it look easy. When there's a good relationship, it makes it look easy. Um, but the, so the saints have that relationship with God that they're able to navigate even very treacherous waters and it, and it seems to be, seems to be somewhat easy. But, uh, but really, in every time, Christianity is always countercultural. And so the saints were also going against certain trends, resisting certain mentalities. They, w they weren't living like everyone else. And so they're always a countersign to the, the ways of the world. And we have to have the courage to do that, and also the insight of how to do that. And again, that really comes from our relationship with God. So as we learn to live our relationship with God in the midst of the world, a lot of things just kind of now. So with it being countercultural, and that we are having the saints being against it, and them always being tied closer to God, I guess the question is, all of the culture can't be wrong inherently. I mean, or else we'd be non-existent, non-functional. How do we know exactly where to fight. I know that the example you've been bringing up a lot is the, contra the contraception battle, you know, with Humana Vitae, but how do we kind of know which is the parts to, to really resist again with the culture of society, knowing that that's where, where God wants to take us? There's a, a book I just started reading uh, called The Benedict Option by Rod Dreher and the title of the book comes from his proposed solution I suppose but early on chapter 2 in the book he looks at kind of seven revolutions that have taken place one per century since the 14th century which have really shifted our outlook on the, on the world and religion and whatever else and so it actually has some good insights for us. And it describes some different cultural shifts that have taken place. For example, um, the whole worldview of, uh, of a universe, you know, we can look at, at the development of, of modern science, and then we really have the idea that the universe goes on its own and it doesn't need any help. So that God really seems to be outside of creation. The idea of the kind of watchmaker universe that it's of living out all these laws and if you, if you only had a computer big enough, you could actually calculate everything that's going to happen for the next thousand years. That's actually false even from a scientific perspective. But we've developed that mentality that you could predict everything if you just had enough processing power. True. How does that incorporate free will for one thing? But it also 
makes it seem that God is not involved in any of this, that the universe is going along on its own way and it doesn't need God anymore. And that idea is, is wrong, again, from a scientific perspective even. The, the, the universe is going according to laws which God established, and the universe is drawing on an energy that it doesn't kind of possess in itself. It's coming from somewhere, right? Yeah. So anyway, the separation of God from creation is a very prevalent mentality so that we have this idea that God lives in churches and God lives in heaven but God doesn't live on earth with us that he's not involved in the things around us this is a big problem it's com it's it's really false um, but it's very prevalent so that's that's an example as you mentioned some some sexual questions are certainly a, a prominent issue in terms of morality one of the things that Pope Francis keeps banging on is the attitude of uh, of the economy, the economy really focusing on money rather than focusing on the human person. Mm -hmm. The center of the economy is the human person, not money. And when it becomes money, the human person gets pushed to the side. And so everything that's not productive becomes expendable. And so we develop this culture of waste that we throw away human beings so that we can make more money. And that attitude is a big problem. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, there are a lot of attitudes, just self-determination, self-sufficiency, that we can really do everything without God, that we can develop our own moral system, that we're not responsible to anything outside of us. Uh, a lot of issues, a lot of ways that Christianity is not counter is is not in line with the culture. Well, all those issues you brought up, I, I think that I have thought are an example with with virtually all of them. So um, let's just go with the last one about the economy that you brought up. We actually had to uh, drop one of our suppliers for a granite because of, of that exact same thing. The the granite company that we were buying from essentially was. I mean, he was he was just wrong with what he was doing to his employees in terms of, mm. of not compensating them and and the way that they had it structured. And at the end of the day, you know, the employees rebelled against him and they'd stopped showing up to work and, and the entire thing imploded and, you know, we just, you know, weren't going to go that road anymore. So that was just an example Beautiful. that we had literally about an hour ago um, that conversation <laughs> that you know it's it, it's just not going to go that way now that being said I, I never knew any of this behind the scenes how he was running his company I only knew it as we order the granite it shows up in the kitchen it looks awesome cool my customers love it we're good but when when I actually heard from their side of the fence I was like ooh we're not going to be using you anymore um, so that was that was something that was interesting good for you that's yeah. awesome yeah, that's a that's a fantastic example of how our Christian ethos, our Christian way of living, should really affect our daily daily decisions. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those sometimes we do that at a at a cost. You know, if you maybe you get grammar that's not quite as good and uh, or that's a little more expensive or whatever. Yeah, but it, the human person comes first, and that's all to what happens. Like for virtually any one of. The, the, the guys that I'm hiring, whether he's electrician, contractor, whatever, I have my original before I start budget 
for this is what I can pay for X activity and thankfully normally it's pretty accurate with what, what they end up needing but there's occasional times where we'll be off by a little bit here and there and we just work through it and I mean at the end of the day I'm definitely not gouging people or anything like that I feel that I'm being fair and reasonable and ultimately I feel like capitalism means that I am because if I wasn't they wouldn't want to keep coming back to me and want to do the next house so we've figured out something that, that works in terms of an economic level so the other one that you brought up was was you, you called it the watchmaker system in terms of the planet and the particular area that comes to mind about that isn't necessarily about the universe although my question about the universe for science which I would always like answered if the Big Bang is the ultimate end-all be-all and God didn't have anything to do with it first question where did it actually physically take place at because if there was one explosion that happened with everything you should be able to pinpoint track exactly where that was and they're not capable of doing that so that's question one question two is why hasn't there been another one if it was just this random event that created everything why is there no possibility of being a second one that could create even more so those are my two general questions to the astrophysicists out there um, I'm not sure about the uh, pinpointing the location I feel like they would have some uh, some proposal about that but I, I haven't really read on that there are a lot of interesting things when you start looking at the universe but in terms of the Big Bang the idea is that all matter was in one literally a, a single location all the matter in the entire universe and it was all so compacted and they call that a singularity mm -hmm. that functions through some different laws than our normal laws and that that sort of came together so much that it exploded and now it's expanding all the way out and the idea would be that there would be enough gravitational pull potentially that it would all come back together into one place again and and potentially you know go through the same kind of thing although anyway so there are some people that would have an agenda to say that the universe sort of always existed and it's always doing something mm -hmm. like this you know expanding contracting expanding contracting movement or whatever but the Big Bang in itself was a very controversial theory that was proposed by a Catholic priest, Monsignor Lemaitre, at the Catholic University of Louvain. And because of the nature of the theory, it seems to imply that God exists and that there's a beginning. And it was heavily resisted by science at the time. Oh, see, I actually thought that was the other way around. I figured that it was science came up with it, and because of Hawkins theory that time stopped and didn't exist before it that it was a scientific theory more than it was a um, a theory brought forth by the church well, well no it wasn't brought forth by the church it was a scientific theory brought, brought forth by the physics professor Monsignor George Lemaitre because the church does science mm -hmm. so the Catholic University of Louvain has a physics department and Monsignor Lemaitre was a professor in the physics department and for scientific reasons he developed this this Big Bang theory and was able to back it up but because the theory itself 
seems to imply so heavily that there's a creator, mm -hmm. the scientific establishment really resisted it. And in fact, Big Bang was them making fun of it. So that mm -hmm. was the name of the scientific community to make fun of Monsignor Lemaitre and his Big Bang theory. And that ended up then, because of the scientific uh, accuracy of it, holding as the dominant theory of the development of the universe. I love that. So Hawkins has a different agenda that he's trying to reshape. He can't resist the Big Bang Theory because it has too much scientific evidence to support it. So he's trying to find another way to have a Big Bang Theory without a god. Mm. And that's his own agenda of, of manipulating or, or working with that, that theory to also incorporate his own worldview. But, um, yeah, it was developed by a Catholic priest physicist. Hmm. How about that? On that worldview, actually coming down to our world now, was another question I had off of there about the, the natural laws and whatnot. And this goes back to one of the things that agendas you brought up that, that really gets to me, particularly here in America. I don't know about the rest of the world, as most of you guys are listening to us from. But... We bring up global warming all the time. Like, all it is is we just got to give more and more money to the government, give us more and more taxes, and somehow magically they'll fix it. But they never account for the Earth fixing itself. You know, we, we have facts that during the 70s, 60s, and 50s that it was really, really hot. And then the Earth blew up a couple of volcanoes around the world and cooled it down during the 80s and 90s, St. Helens being an example of it. And that's all fact, but there's this pretending that if we just give the governments of the world all of our money and let them distribute it, that it will be better somehow. And that's just something that, that annoys me to all wit's end. It just ignores the fact that, you know, the world has its own self-regulators here and there, and they try to cite all these things like methane usage, well, there's a gaft off of the underwater below Hawaii that releases more methane every year than the United States and China did for the entire decade of the first 2000s. So, you going around driving an SUV isn't going to really affect anything when you compare it to what the world's already doing. And that's a, um, a thought that I have, and I get that it's probably on the exact opposite end because basically I'm against taxes, but... That's kind of my thought process there about how, you know, we all have an equal incentive to keep it working, but giving someone money just to make him the guy who can arbitrarily think of it doesn't seem to be the right way to do it. Well, and, and this is why I love the teaching of Pope Francis in Laudato Si, because he takes this issue, which is so highly politicized, and he helps us look at it in a Christian perspective. There are some things that are... Uh, impossible to argue for example in the 50s I think I think in the 50s maybe a little bit earlier than that in Pittsburgh they had the street lamps on during the day mm -hmm. because the pollution was horrendous Pittsburgh is better now than it was in the 40s or 50s and that came at somebody's expense somebody had to make the decision not to produce or to have the scrubbers or to add the expensive equipment to, you know, uh, and likewise with cars. I was just in Beijing. Uh, the pollution index in Beijing on a regular day is around 250. One day while I was there, it was up at 600. Wow. 
in Los Angeles, at worst, it gets up to 60. Okay. So that's categorically so, different. Categorically different. Um, Beijing doesn't have those exhaust controls on cars. They don't have those controls on factories. They don't have scrubbers. They don't have... And so you get a ton of pollution. Likewise, I was in Calcutta. Now, Calcutta was actually more offensive. It smelled worse, and it hurt me more than Beijing, although uh, apparently the pollution is not, you know, based on their the measurements, is about half of what Beijing is. But, I mean, it's horrendous. It's mm -hmm. just, it stinks. There's, you know, you've got trash in the streets. You're, and, and Pope Francis says something very simple. He says, the people who suffer are the poor. And that's where... You know, we have the attitude, and, and you get it in Beijing, for example, the rich have scrubbers on their houses, and so the air they breathe in their houses is not the air that everybody else breathes. Mm. The people who suffer are the poor. In, in Calcutta, where you have green rivers, and in Beijing, the water supply is undrinkable, the, the rich can buy bottles of water. The poor can't buy bottles of water. The people who suffer are the poor. And so whether you talk about the global impact, now, I mean, the way that the water is rising, it's unreasonable to believe that the water is not going to keep rising. It's been rising steadily. Ice caps have been melting. And you can attribute that to whatever you want. Mm -hmm. But but there's a, a reality there that, you know, Fiji is going underwater. So what are we doing about it? And, again, we can argue about solutions and, and there's, you know, a range for prudential judgment and there are those who have authority and need to, they have the ones, you know, the insight to discern some of these things. But, but to simply recognize the problem and then to recognize the humanity at the center. And that's why Pope Francis said over and over, this is not an environmental encyclical. It's a social encyclical. I'm concerned about the human person. But when we really put the human person up front, and then even when we develop a mentality of how can I make the best decisions, how can I make decisions in the best way so that people six generations from now or even the next generation will have it better than I do? Now, again, we shouldn't take a simple answer to that question, but we should be thinking in those terms. How do I provide a better world for my children and grandchildren? What are the decisions I can make now that will help them to have a better world? And then we can argue about what those solutions are, but at least that ought to be part of our process. I get that. I, I get the part about making it better for people. I totally get that as far as being able to produce a society where you're creating, I guess Calcutta makes what, refrigerators and all that stuff comes from India. So all the refrigerant gets in the water and that, that's not good. That, that's a fixable problem. You know, as far as the smog from the factories there's a way to do that too um, not sure that the Pittsburgh's the best example because basically they just got outbeat competitively and had to shut down the meals so I don't know if that's but ultimately the same thing is true though you even go to where they do produce it it's nowhere near the volume of, of pollutant in the air I, but the thing that gets to me is the water level one is because at one point in the world's history all the way down to the state of Tennessee was covered in ice you know, the world was going to do what it's want to do, and people weren't going around doing anything then that would have been... You know, the Earth does cycles based upon what it feels like that we can't control, and there has to be some element that says we are not the end-all, be-all who can control everything. You know, 
just turn down the arrogance a little, people. You know, you can't control everything. You know, take care of each other. You can control that part, but you can't make the ice become more icy. When I didn't actually say what the solution was to the water problem. I think the solution is to move people out of Fiji, but we yeah. need to do that. We need to prepare for that sooner rather than later, or else the rich are going to get out and the poor are going to drown. Yes, yes, that, that makes sense. So putting, again, the human person first and asking the question, what's the best that I can do for this person who is not a stranger, but who is my brother? What's the best that I can do for my brother who is poor on the island of Fiji? Now, that might be, you know, maybe we decide that, oh, there is some way that I can stop the water from rising by not driving as much. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not weighing into those solutions, mm -hmm. but I'm asking the question, what's the best that I can do for my brother who is poor in Fiji or who is poor in Florida or who is poor somewhere else who's not going to be able to helicopter out at the last minute? Yeah, this approach of dealing with the actual elements of people there seems to make a whole lot more sense than giving the government money. So that's just, I guess, my, my take on it. And <laughs> regardless of which country you're in, or I, I just feel that's always going to be the case. You know, As an individual, you taking care of your family will always lead to the best outcome for not just yourselves, but for society as large. And that's actually going to tie into another podcast I want to talk about, which is the family unit as, as we get into there. So in the meantime, I definitely want to thank everyone for giving us your time here today. Appreciate you guys listening to us as much as you have um, since we originated this podcast. We appreciate all of the reviews and subscriptions you give to us. And if you can continue to tell your friends and other people who would benefit from it, we greatly appreciate that. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll be here next week.